eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Paid State Speaker Series, we bring the best and brightest to campus. That's why Greg McElroy, ESPN, former Alabama quarterback, fill in the blank. I mean, got a dynamite YouTube show as well. Gregory, how are you on this lovely December afternoon? Well, I'm good, buddy. I, I'm just, I'm glad I wasn't referred to as Cole Kublik's co-host on the radio. No. Um, because that is a, a bridge too far. And knowing that he joins you on your Thursday show every week uh, has been both engaging and at the same time, repulsive uh a little too much into the weeds for for cube kicks man why you why you gotta why you gotta give him such a platform to let him talk about offensive line play it's borderline offensive would you agree truthfully yes and (laughs) you know we we all make mistakes in life i'm sure that you don't feel like you've been purely angelic at every point in your career so were mistakes made yes but were lessons learned also yes um, no, it, hey, I've enjoyed having you. I, I listened, and you know this. Like I, I've texted you a bunch of times. Like I listen to your show a lot. I, I just like it when people do it the right way. You know what I mean? Like there's, it, it's really easy to go out and say, you know, Colorado's a top ten team <laughs> in the preseason uh, in an effort to generate clicks. And I've always respected you and your approach because I think you cover it the right way. You love the sport and. That's what we're all in it for. And I will, as for all of his flaws, Cuba Kicks does have uh, an awful lot of love for the sport. It's just the wrong position group right. that we that he cares about. Yeah. Nobody cares about the offensive line. And uh, I'm just hopeful that at some point he'll realize that. Yeah, it's like Meemaw used to always tell me, Joshua, if your heart's in the right place, your logic can be flawed. But you don't want people <laughs> whose hearts are in the wrong place with sound logic. And that's why Cole's always had a home here. It's been a sanctuary show of sorts for him. Good. So. We're we're a little bit removed from this thing now, but we're not really mo- removed from it. And I'm talking about the college football playoff selection, whole, the whole process. Yeah. So we go into conference championship weekend, and everyone kind of thinks they have a little bit of read on things, and you've got all your ideas sketched on the back of a pizza box. But I kept on saying on the show, the games happening on the field have a tendency to just hit the reset button in people's minds. And so it doesn't matter if you think it's an automatic if this happens or an automatic if that doesn't happen. you got to watch it happen. And so we watched Florida State go undefeated and win a Power 5 conference championship, and they didn't make the playoff. You had the blessed but also slightly unenviable task of being live on air (laughs) as it happens. Okay, so I was texting you, as I imagine a million other people were, 
because I was watching it in real time, and I realized there is no opportunity that Greg or anyone else has to take five minutes and fully articulate their thoughts. You don't have time to do it. And it would easily take five minutes to fully lay out, here's what I feel, here's what I think, here's what's right, but here's what the committee protocols should have provided. I think a team like FSU may have been screwed, but we also may have the correct teams in. No one has time for that. It's it's sound bites, it's screenshots. And so it was it was a losing battle that day. So then (laughs) <laughs> you say what you say. I'm going to give you a chance to just kind of restate your point here in a second. Sure. And then there's this just avalanche, which is to be expected, from Tallahassee and from Florida State fans who really felt like there was a machine built against them a lot more so than <laughs> just the playoff committee. So let's go back to that moment. What was it like that Sunday early afternoon? It's just afternoon on the East Coast, I guess. You're watching it happen at the desk like Reese Davis is 10 feet away from you reading the rankings in real time. What did you feel? How did you think was best to go about it? Do you have any regrets for how you handled it? Like, what was that moment like? Well, uh, let's, and honestly, to get to selection day, you almost have to go back a couple weeks prior. Um, where I, I had said week two of, and Halloween was week one, which was in some ways a forgettable show because. I mean, let's be real. I wish I was walking around with an alien and an astronaut, my two kids, uh, going and and eating as many Whoppers and Airheads as I can get my hands on. Like, Whoppers are terrible candy, but I was willing to eat it anyways. Oh, wow. So I think Halloween was kind of a throwaway at night, but week two was when I presented the conversation about the one-loss teams and how they should potentially be discussed. And to me, my frustration with the committee has always been the lack of transparency and the lack of consistency. Now, Josh, you do your JP poll. I mean, I do a top 10. I'm sure there's contradictions all throughout my top 10, and I'm sure there's contradictions, and I know there are uh, in some cases, rare cases, of course, that the JP poll is not 100 entirely, not 100 Washington. Yeah, sound j- just say logical. Washington. It's just Washington. It's really just Washington, and I think AM is like still second on the JP poll. Right. I'm not sure if they still are. I need to like double check. Yeah. Um, I, I, I kid, but there needed to be a discussion there in week two about Oregon, Texas, and Alabama. And it, it's un, the, the difficult thing for me is that regardless of what I do professionally, you, you know this, like I'm really not going to win when it involves Alabama. Because I'm either going to be a homer or I'm going to be someone that is going so far out of their way to show their lack of bias that there, there's really no no enviable task. And respectful members of the media even were coming at me that night. Oh, here's McElroy parading the Alabama propaganda to try to push them into the playoff discussion. No, I said all I wanted to do was have a discussion of the order of the one-loss teams. Because if you're going to tell me Ohio State is one based on resume that's where they were at that time, then we must also acknowledge that the one-loss teams should also be ranked on resume. And at that point, the best part of Oregon's resume was a close loss to a team that was ranked in the top five in Washington. And that, to me, was very frustrating. And we were picking and choosing our criteria, one, two, three, four, five, and six, some based on eye tests, some based on resume, some based on a blend of the two. And that, to me, is really troubling. So I acknowledge that there was some problems three or four weeks prior to when the actual committee had to make a very difficult decision. Now, I also acknowledge that over the course of time, 10 years now, it's not like this is like year two. Like we have some history. We have some precedent. And the committee has been willing to scrap the rankings leading into the, the final week, but they have never rewarded quality over deservingness. Like they have never done that. It's the first time Mm -hmm. because you could tell me and Florida State fans might selectively remember this or forget however they decide to go about it. In 2014, Josh, you were just a little baby JP running around in Georgia and chasing tornadoes and stuff. I don't know. I don't know where you were. As as a baby does in Georgia. Yes. Continue. (laughs) Okay. So like I was I was like a little pup just trying to figure things out on this television thing. It was my first year, and I'm like, I don't know what the heck the committee's going to do. I mean, shoot, I guess Ohio State's good. I don't know. <laughs> but Ohio State was put in over TCU and Baylor. 
perfectly fine with that. But the conversation really, if they were going to go the fourth best, the conversation really should have centered around an undefeated Florida State team that year who was beyond average. And right. if not for the brilliance of Jameis Winston, they probably would have lost four games. And TCU, who I think most people that year would have said they're certainly one of the four best. And they weren't. They had rewarded the most deserving team, the team that went undefeated. Um, that's why I think this year was so remarkably shocking for all of us was for me. I still, and if they want the attorney general wants to subpoena my text messages, by all means, um, I was texting members of the media. I was texting friends and family. Y'all Bama's not getting in. (laughs) I don't think it's going to happen. I really don't. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I think the easiest thing for the committee to do is probably to put Florida state in at four. Bama will be five. George will be six. We'll call it a day. Um, but I didn't think that's what they should do based on their criteria. I think it was very clear based on how they played in the final month of the season that Bama was one of the four best teams. Now, were they one of the four most deserving teams? Probably not. If you want to push back against that, I have no issue with it. But I don't think that they were one of the four. I do think that they were one of the four best, whereas I didn't think that Florida State was. And it was really predicated on their performance in the final week of the season. And I was totally supportive of Florida State's inclusion. I understood it. I got it. I was comfortable with it. And had Florida State flashed across the four line, I would have totally understood it. I would have gotten it. Um, But I don't know if anyone could, uh, with sound logic, watch Florida State's performance against Louisville, Bama's performance against Georgia in the final game that we saw both teams play and suggest that Florida State was a superior team to Alabama. I mean, I saw Bama offensive linemen mowing, mowing defensive tackles from Georgia off the ball five and six yards. That doesn't happen. I mean, that's very, very rare. So I thought their performance and dominance in that game was what gave them the benefit of the doubt. And I thought it should have been Bama if we're going based on merit, uh, based on ceiling, based on quality. Uh, But if you want to go based on resume, it'd be very hard, I think, to push back on Florida State being included. So, no, I don't regret anything. Um, I, I feel terrible for Florida State, but it can be a both-and situation. They were both deserving. They were both good. And they went with the team that they thought was capable of performing at a higher level, to which I can't really push back. If you have a problem, take it up with the criteria, not so much with the committee that followed their own criteria for the first time in 10 years. Yeah, so... The reason I ask is because I think you and I basically felt the same way on that. I mean, at at my strongest conviction, I was fifty five one way, forty five the other way. So, like you said, at most, yeah. I mean, if, you know, <laughs> if that spear one forty nine might even be more appropriate. Yeah, if that spear <laughs> pops up on the screen on Sunday, I, I'm saying, oh wow, okay, that's probably the extent of my reaction. Right. And then I know my phone's gonna have its battery drained from like Bama friends and family hit me up, but. Um, you, you talked about something there that I wanted to get back to. So I think uh, one of the most overused and misunderstood terms in all of sporting society, college football and otherwise, is bias. And you especially get it if you have an affiliation, if you are either coached at or played at a specific yeah. university. Herb Street dealt with this like a generation ago with Ohio State, and he tried to manage it the best way that he could and ended up you know, famously relocating where he lives to get away from that a little bit. And, and there was just, the point was, there was no winning. And Greg, that was, that was kind of in the pre-social media era. And now you're smack dab in the middle of this world where everyone gets to have their voice heard immediately. So I, I try my best to explain to people uh, what the process is actually like in this business. Now, you're above and beyond because you're calling games. You're, you're on legacy media. I mean, the biggest name on the block is ESPN and your studio and booth there. So your name's everywhere. So you got a huge platform, huge voice. I try to explain to people as best I know how. I grew up liking teams just like anyone else. I may not have played at a specific university, but I was just as diehard growing up as anyone else. And then I got a microphone put in front of my face and I figured (laughs) out the business of whether it's radio or television. And I figured out Whether my team wins or loses, there is great business to be done on the other side of it, and it doesn't really matter. And you quickly realize what's best for business is to totally divorce yourself from any attachment you have emotionally to a brand 
and just take care of your business. And the best do that across the board. And people don't believe that's true. Like people just don't believe it because by the very definition of what makes you want to watch a show like this or makes you want to watch a playoff reveal or makes you want to watch a game, you are a fan, which is great. But that also means there, there may be this logic that would otherwise apply if we were talking on the street that doesn't apply. You simply don't believe a guy could have started for the University of Alabama but could be indifferent and unbiased when he talks about Alabama. When you're actually in that situation, how much or how little is that idea even in your mind when you see that crimson logo or see that crimson helmet versus a Texas A&M helmet? Um, is there a big difference? Are you aware of it in the moment or does it not even enter your mind? And only afterwards is it when maybe you hear people start throwing the accusations around? Well, I mean, you're never going to shake it. I mean, part of why I'm at where I'm at is because I played quarterback and won a national championship at Alabama. Like that is what it is. And I... You know, the difficult thing, I think, is that I'm young enough to where people actually, like, remember me having played. I think if, like, a lot of people, unless you do some digging, they probably don't realize that Gary Danielson played at Purdue. Right. You know, they they probably aren't necessarily thinking about, well, Lee Corso coached at Florida State and Louisville. And, like, they they are removed enough. I'm still kind of in it. Um, And, frankly, like, I played for the guy that's still coaching there. You know, that is, I think, an extra, an additional layer of challenge that that people have a difficult time distancing themselves from. And I, to be honest with you, like, I, I think as I got into this world and started to um, develop relationships with coaches, there was a, there was a, a, a bit of a, people were cautious, you know, as if I was going to go report back, Hey, coach Saban, like, just so you know, Hey, Auburn's got a reverse in. you want to take a peek at that. Like that is career suicide. Like, so like I would like to provide for my family for the next 30 years, if at all possible. Um, and I know that the best way of doing that is to, is to really root for, for the sport, you know, more so than root for a, a specific outcome. And and that that I think is is strange for people, um, because we are so tribal and we are so obsessed with our with our university, and we you you can't imagine ever being able to remove yourself from such university. But I kind of say it like this: like when I was in Tuscaloosa playing for the Tide, that's five years. That's from two thousand six to two thousand ten. Every single waking moment of my life for a five-year period was dedicated to trying to be successful in Bryant-Denny Stadium or whatever stadium that we were traveling to. Like that was, it was an obsession. That's all I did. So it's almost like being, when, when you're that involved, when you're that invested, being invested now, it's like, I, I don't go to practice. Like I don't. I don't do those. Like I do go to practice once a year. I take my son and like he daps up the players and it's more like a father son bonding experience more so than it is, you know, feeling as though you're giving back to the university. And I've also found too, like the longer you're in it, you stop rooting for places and you root more for people, which is, is kind of, kind of strange. Um, For instance, like Jim McElwain, is a coach at Central Michigan. I would credit every ounce of success that I had in college football to his tutelage. I mean, he helped me a lot, like personally, professionally, uh, understanding the game. So I root for him. Um, in the NFL, like I root for Brian Schottenheimer, who took a chance on me, like when I when he drafted me in the seventh round. Like I, I root for I root for Rex Ryan. I, I root for I root for Kirby Smart, who. We would jot each other in practice because he was who I was going up against, and I knew their checks, they knew my checks. And when Rolando McLean made a check, or when I saw Mark Barron go like this, I knew they were going to be in cover two. So I checked to a cover two beater, and I split the safeties. Like it, you know, it's you root for people really more than places. And now, I mean, if I go back to Tuscaloosa, there's two people there that were there when I was in school. One is the get back coach Ellis Ponder. Uh, the other is Nick Saban. So it's. Look, I love my school. I I will always be grateful for the time I had at Alabama, but it will never infiltrate the way I analyze the sport because the sport itself, college football itself to me, is more important 
than my loyalty to a particular place. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I really want the sport to be healthy more so than I want my team to win 10 more national championships. And that might sound crazy and it might get me in trouble with Bama fans, but that's really genuinely how I feel. No, I mean, it makes perfect sense because of the way I feel. I didn't play at Alabama. I, I didn't quarterback a national championship team, but it's the same way in that uh, probably the most commonly asked question that I get in my inbox is, hey, who did you grow up rooting for? Well, number one, <laughs> it's a death wish for me to answer that question. Don't number, answer. Right? Number two, if you're having to ask, does it not kind of prove the point that we're doing a half decent job in the way we present the material here? Like, if you have to ask, it's irrelevant for you to know. Um, right. So, you, you, dude, you've been at the media game for a decade already, which it's, it still feels yeah. like you're really new at doing it. And I was very <laughs> interested, sort of when the, the mid-20-teens come around and uh, the new media revolution starts to happen, the digital media revolution starts to happen, where you're opening doors and you're kind of seeing cracks to kick down dams that eventually lead to being able to, to do stuff like we do here, like you do with your show, but you're in a different position. Some of us solely relied on coming up through the alternative media space, YouTube Live, Facebook Live, et cetera. Right. Your door in was different because you had brand recognition and, and name recognition with Alabama. And so you go from playing for the Jets one day to essentially SEC Network the next day or next couple of days. And at that point, that was the way in the door. You, you either had to come up through journalism school or be former player coach and then come up through the media sphere that way. But on your journey, you've gotten some big time gigs. You're about to call a playoff game in a couple of weeks. I mean, it gets no better in our business than that. But you've also really carved out a presence on platforms like YouTube. And you also still do local radio with Kublik down in Birmingham and I'm very curious because not a lot of guys choose to do that. A lot of guys, if they had that, that legacy top-rung platform, they'd forget about that other. Why do you choose to do it differently? A few reasons. Um, one, I'm addicted to the sport. Um, and it, it, I, I noticed, and I think, uh, and I, I've been a consumer of your show for a while, I just felt like as the NIL world was expanding and the transfer portal was expanding... Um, there was a real negative light on the, on the sport. Yep. You know, it just felt like the way it was covered in the off seasons in particular, um, it was just really covered negatively. I'm not saying people didn't do their job. I'm not saying people didn't do, um, I'm not saying that people didn't cover the sport the way they felt like they needed to in order to generate clicks and to, and to, you know, to generate traffic. Like I, I understand the necessary evil that is, and and how people naturally gravitate gravitate towards the negatives. I I understand that. But I felt like we were really missing out on an opportunity on television where you get to speak in finite periods of time. The playoff show is a good example. We're on that show for four hours. That's a four hour show, and it's about as long a show as you'll have. And you get to speak in sixty to ninety second increments, maybe three, four times an hour. So over the course of a four-hour show, I just didn't feel like we were necessarily able to dive deep enough to help explain why it is we feel the way we feel. You can hit the treetops and you can kind of skim the top if you can and make it digestible and consumable. But I felt like there was another layer that I thought was really beneficial and was... And was something that I was very interested in. So long form radio has been really valuable because it keeps you in it every day. Uh, you get to have some personality. And if there's one thing I've learned from radio, um, one, I've been very fortunate to do it with the exception of, you know, a short stint with Danny Cannell. I've been able to do it with some of my best friends. Uh, and, I, and I do love Danny too. We see the world in totally different ways, which can sometimes be valuable. Um, but I did work with Danny and had a great relationship with him and still do still really like Danny disagree with everything he stands for on Twitter, but right. Twitter Danny is different than real Danny. Uh, and I've acknowledged that. Um, Cole Kublik is one of my best friends. Taylor Zarzer, who I worked with before that was also one of my best friends and being on radio was really beneficial. Not all that dissimilar to your show where you're in the live chat and other shows that do a great job of incorporating a live chat. You get a good feel for what is moving the needle with the people, which I can now apply to TV, which I can now apply to games. 
And that's beneficial. And then as far as the YouTube space is concerned with always college football, I'm a consumer of podcasts. So like I love it because I love direct to consumer niche presentations. Like when I'm listening to traditional college sports radio, um, I don't necessarily want to just talk about the top seven teams. Like I think Kansas State matters as much to the ecosystem as Syracuse, uh, especially with what Syracuse is currently doing in the portal and, and recruiting. And I think Syracuse matters as much to you know the college football ecosystem as a as an FCS champion. And we don't spend a ton of time on those teams, but they matter uh, and they're important. And I felt like always college football would kind of allow for us to go just a little deeper on some of the matchups and the teams that don't necessarily get served on your traditional media platforms. So do we play the hits? Yes. Does does Lake Kick play the hits? Absolutely. Like I'm not dumb enough to put together an hour-long show and not mention Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan, SC, Texas. Like, of course, we're going to talk about those teams. But at the same time, there's an underserved audience that doesn't get their team talked about very much, a la West Virginia, a la UCF. Uh, teams like that that also are playing good football and deserve to have their story told, and yet there's just not a lot of mediums that are using their platform to kind of talk about those teams. So I, I love the mix, and um, I'm very fulfilled doing what I'm doing. And and in a way, it's it's literally like you, man. This is a dream. Like, I can't believe this is my job. I was with my parents this past weekend. They still think that at some point I'm going to grow up and get a real <laughs> yeah. job. Uh, but I'm I'm not quite ready to take that plunge just yet. And um, this is this is an itch that I just have to continue to scratch because it's just all consuming. And it's something that you just do 24-7, 365. You mentioned intelligence a second ago. I'm not dumb enough to ignore this or think that. It's interesting you mentioned intelligence. You famously have a lot of it. I don't know if you've ever had it phrased that way. I don't know if you've ever had that thrown in your face like that, but famously, you have a surplus of intelligence. Now, here's a little story for you. So, you know what a malapropism is? No. Okay, a malapropism... Clearly not enough intelligence to well, understand what that it's, is. this is more of like an awareness <laughs> thing than an intelligence thing. So, malapropisms, <laughs> I've got a list of like 200 of them in a notes file on my iJosh. Malapropisms are just these commonly misspoken phrases or misunderstood spellings. Like, for example... People say blessing in the skies just because they've misheard it their whole life. And it's actually blessing in disguise. Well, Rhodes Scholar for your boy, up until Greg McElroy of Alabama almost became one, was Rogue <laughs> Scholar to me. Because I had obviously never brushed up against it. I had never even had to worry about it. It sounds like rogue when people say it really fast. And so yeah. you being involved in that process when you were at Alabama was the first time that I ever realized, oh, it's not called Rogue Scholarship, is it? Oh, it's Rhodes. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And I want to thank you because you being a – you were a finalist for that thing, right? <laughs> yeah, I thought it was R-O-A-D-S. Like, you know, I thought it was a 5K or something. Like, I wasn't <laughs> sure what it was. Um, no, I, yes, I was. And it was it, – <laughs> you know, it's a – I think it's a bit of a product of the times. Like, nowadays, shoot, man, like, these guys are pros – and in, in football at 18 years old, yep. um, my like my goal of going to college was to get college paid for one, have a little fun playing football too. Uh, when I turned 21, have an adult beverage or two. That was also a very, very high requirement for me. It was very important. Uh, and then four, like, all right, I get to go to school for free. I'm going to juice this thing for all I possibly juice it for because I don't know if I'm going to the league. Like, I don't care if I do. Great. I remember I remember telling my buddy and Preston Dial, you can look him up. He was a fullback H back out of Mobile. And my other buddy, David Ross, he's my roommates, uh, my freshman year. And they were having a discussion about, yeah, when I'm an All-American and when I'm all, you know, <laughs> which, which is great. I told him, I'm like, yeah, to be honest with you guys, I kind of want to be an academic All-American. Mm. Like, they're like nerd like clown like did you I mean, look at them did like, you yeah, look at them you know, and say I, I could control that did right? you did I you pull the did you actually that. did you actually pull the guys have you seen the commercial we may go pro in something other than sports were you the actual college kid who said that sentence i i, I might have said that mm. once it might come up now every once in a while it's total baloney 
Yeah. Uh, because I, of course, went to Alabama and had aspirations to play in the league, too. Like, no doubt. Um, but I look, I was like, look, they're going to pay for it. I might as well just, you know, juice this thing for all it's worth. And I was actually going to get my I was going to law school. Um, I wanted to get an MBA. I wanted to go to law school. <laughs> and wouldn't you believe it? You would think that the law program at Alabama would be willing to offer some morning classes because, you know, I want to play football and go to law school and practice in the afternoon. They would not do that for me. I couldn't believe they wouldn't do that for me. Um, just change their whole, you know, deal. No, and all, all joking aside, like I and I, I never thought about the Rhodes Scholarship. Like it was uh, that was like a I mean, that was like something. That, I'm, what is that? Like, sure, I'll try. And a doc, and Dr. Buster Alloway, who still to this day is like my favorite teacher of all time. He's our Stats 210 professor, and that's the most impossible class ever. It's like a weed-out class for the business school. Nobody is getting a good grade in that class, but for whatever reason, stats just worked for me. You ask me to read a book and tell you what happened in it, can't do it. Like, my SAT math score was like a 760. My SAT verbal was like a 480. It was like the, it was like the biggest gap ever. So, like, math just worked for me for whatever reason. I don't know why, but I can't read. And I can't write, but I can definitely do some math. And he was like, you should try out for the road scholarship. I was like, I don't even know how to do that. He goes, I'm going to push it and I'm going to make it happen for you. I was like, all right. Um, so being the the student that I was, I think I had like three hours worth of class during the 2010 season. Um, that's all I needed to get my master's. So I had ample amounts of time to watch tape, uh, get a Quizno sub, which is what I ate every day for lunch and go and um and work on my road scholarship application i made it in to the finalist and and it was cool it was a real honor and then i walked into the room with the eight other finalists and was like all right harvard yeah um naval academy um you know yale it's like i am i got no shot at this thing like you know i got no shot at all but i'm here and i will never be able to take that finalist label away from me but the guy that won it was like son of human immigrants that spoke like 19 languages and already started up a nonprofit that had already generated like $10 million worth of nonprofits. It was like unbelievable. I was like, yep, he should yeah. win. And the lady from Naval Academy won as well. And she could not have been any more impressive. I mean, just incredible people. So the right people won it. But the fact that I was even in the mix, even though I probably shouldn't have been, was pretty neat. Yeah. I mean, you <laughs> walk in there, you're illiterate and you can just do long division in your head. And all of a sudden, you're yeah. a Rhodes Scholar <laughs> finally. It still looks good on the Wikipedia page. Like, you're uh, 100%. You, you, when they you're asked close. me, like, what do you think of government? And I was like, that's really open ended. Yeah. Um, that's that not is, for like, me part to of say. My interview questions. I'm like, yeah, not a huge fan, I guess. Yeah. I think that was kind of a turnoff for the, for the committee. And at that point, I, my application was dismissed. <laughs> yeah. Committees, man, they get in the way of so many great things, as it turns there out. There you go. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. 
For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's Lifetime Membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. So um, <laughs> now that we've got all of the Alabama bias aside and we've talked about that, I want to talk about Alabama football for a second. You... Um, you not only obviously everyone watches them because they've been the number one program in the country for a long time, but this particular year you're watching because you don't know if they're going to make the playoff or not. Lou, we don't know if they're going to be a four loss team when they looked how they looked earlier in the season. So the Texas game happens. I would argue the USF game was the ugliest I've seen a Nick Saban team look at any point since 08, basically. And then if you fast forward from that point to this point, looks like a totally different version of team just happens to be same players. So you could look at that from 50,000 feet, which most of us are limited to do, and you could say, well, it's obvious something changed. And it's, it's obvious you watch that offensive line against Georgia. That looks way different. That quarterback right. looks way different than he did early in the season. But when you use a trained eye and you've got some insight into the program and you're on radio down there every day, when you zoom in, what did you see change and when did it start to change? It started on November 1st, the bye week. Um, that's when it really changed. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure you, um, being as astute as you are and as observant as you are, it was pretty obvious that this team is really a tale of two seasons. It was first month, figure things out. Like, hopefully you play well against Texas. You don't, um, that loss lingers. They wanted to see whether or not one of the other quarterbacks might be able to provide a spark. I think there were probably some, some discussions had in the preseason, like, hey, you three are all going to get a chance to play at some point in the first three weeks, and then we'll figure it out from there. I would assume that's what went down. I have don't have it on good authority that that's what happened, but certainly seems that way in talking to people that are more knowledgeable about it than me. Um, once they decided to go with Jalen, they became an offense that was really almost exclusively reliant on big plays. And it, the AM game is a good example. It's like, all right, first down, run for negative two, second down, sack, third and 18, hit a fade down the, th- down the field for a 27-yard gain. It was like very Jekyll and Hyde, very much big play reliant. And I don't think the team or the offense played with a lot of efficiency. They were just boom or bust. It was chunk plays or sacks. It was like, that's kind of all they were. Um, and then... After the bye week, I think they were able to reassess and they were able to really work on Jalen Milrow being more decisive and not holding the ball quite as long, getting the ball out a little bit quicker, being willing and able to take some underneath stuff, being willing and able to take off when the opportunity presents itself to run. He's run in the last five games. He is the leading rusher by a mile. In the first seven games that he participated in, I think he had 47 carries then that weren't sacks. It was like 77 total, but the 47, when you account for the sacks taken there in the first seven games. So he was a lot more decisive and I think he played with a lot more urgency and he did not view the underneath passing attack or a six or seven yard run. Those are not negative plays. Like those are still good plays. <laughs> Second and three as a play caller, Josh, that's, pretty good spot to be now it's not a 47 yard touchdown but shoot man we'll take we'll take those six and seven yard gains and i think they just operated with a lot more efficiency a lot more urgency i do think some of the defenses they faced there early on in november were get right recipe type of teams lsu's anemic on defense kentucky down the stretch did not play well on that side of the ball especially in november so i think that those are some get right recipes that carried over into chattanooga Tough game on the road at Auburn, like always, but they had so much more confidence going into the Georgia game. And I thought, I said it on my show, I said it on several other platforms. I don't know if you said it or not. I don't recall uh, how you felt about the Georgia-Bama game. Like I took Bama in the game because I thought they matched up really well. Yeah. Like Georgia's not good on the edges of their defense. Like that's that's where, I mean, I believe at one point they were averaging like six yards per play given up on zone reads. It was like 115th in the in the country. It was absurd. It was like, that, that doesn't make sense. But then you think about the Auburn game. Think about Georgia Tech game. 
I mean, it kind of did when you dove just a little bit deeper. So uh, I thought Bama matched up really well in that game and and they had a tremendous performance. But I think it was really a kind of a process of feeling out, getting your quarterback more comfortable, getting the receivers a little more comfortable on the underneath stuff, identifying Isaiah Bond as a legitimate number one receiver, uh, and then Jermaine Burton as your big play threat down the field, establishing clear roles for their wide receivers. And then defensively, I think they've been rock solid all season long. That, that really has, with the exception of the Texas game where their secondary played awful. Uh, they were really good on that side of the ball all season long. So it's really been on offense where things have changed. And they're a completely different team than where they were six, seven weeks ago. You know what's crazy is when you played there, Bama, Georgia, like, wasn't even a thing. And I know there was right. that 07, 08 home and home. They come in there and beat you in overtime. Uh, you guys go over there, the blackout win. But that was just a home and home with two big time right. programs. There was no rivalry feel. There was nothing like that. <laughs> I grew up right on the banks of the Chattahoochee River, like bordering Alabama, Georgia. So I have a really unique perspective on this. And about the time Saban comes along, um, he starts to overtake what Urban Meyer had built, which in and of itself had overtaken what Georgia had built under Mark Richt over there in the East. And so there was this real big power struggle. And spoiler alert, Nick Saban wins that, if you guys haven't gone back in time and watched. But then <laughs> as Alabama starts to ascend, I'm living in Georgia, and there is this, there's this animosity and really jealousy towards Alabama. But it wasn't so much we're strictly envious here in Georgia of what they have. It was he's building what we should be. That's what Georgia folks thought. We should be this. And, and Saban's getting yeses, and our guys over here getting yes, no, no, yes, no, no. But on Saturdays, everyone in Athens expects him to be what Alabama is. And so then when Kirby finally got hired there, he came there under the condition and understanding that if you want me to build the same thing that looks like what I just came from at Alabama, you got to give me what the guy at Alabama has. Even then it's going to be hard, but you got to give it to me. And they gave it to him. And all of a sudden, unlike when you played there, there's this like war between Alabama and Georgia. And it's all of a sudden happening more frequently because the games are happening, if not in the regular season, in championship matchups and settings. And the reality is, whether either of them want to admit it or not, there's one equal that each one of them feels exists in the sport. There's, there's one worthy adversary that each one of them feels exists. And, and it's across the river. It's across the state. It's not Ohio State. It's not Michigan. It's not anyone else. Because either one of them feels like if we're healthy, we'll take care of business anywhere else. The one that's capable of beating us is the one that's built to beat us. Bama's built to match up against Georgia and vice versa, which is why when you went into that SEC championship game, it didn't matter what had just happened in the Iron Bowl. And to take it further... Had Georgia been pushed to the limit by Georgia Tech, I wouldn't have cared about that either because I would have known right. we are wiping the Etch-A-Sketch board clean and whatever happens this Saturday, it's basically a one-game season. And I remember thinking to myself, I know Bama's banged up on the defensive front. I know Bowers and McConkie can barely go if they can go at all for Georgia, but whoever wins this and gets three weeks to sort of lick the wounds and be healthy, we may be looking at the national championship here. And in retrospect, Bama wins it. I'm not so sure I still don't feel that way. I picked him against Michigan. I may very well pick him in the national championship game, but it's amazing how, how evolutionary the SEC has been. When you were there, it's Bama LSU, and of course it's always Bama Auburn. Right. Now, Bama Georgia, even though it's not a yearly deal, is as big as anything in the country outside of like you know Ohio State Michigan has been. Yeah, I mean, I honestly for us, like the the alpha dog in the sport was Tim Tebow led Florida. Right. Like that was they like we hated Florida. We didn't ever we never played them. Like our our off season in two thousand nine, we lost Florida in the 08 SEC championship game. Our entire season in 09 was dedicated to Florida. They weren't even on the schedule. <laughs> you know, it's like we are gonna get revenge. On those guys in Gainesville, like that was the thing, and it was it was really kind of strange um, because I I don't think we would ever talk to Coach Saban about it because it was like one game at a time, one play at a time. Like this game against Chattanooga is our <laughs> biggest game on the schedule because it's the next one. I was like, yeah, kinda. <laughs> the one two weeks from now when we play Florida, that's kind of a big one um, for sure. But yeah, it's it's really changed, and I don't I, I know you've probably said this. I've always thought that the two. Two of the best jobs in the sport are Georgia and LSU because they are 
the granddaddy in their state. Like they are the big dog in really talent rich states. And whether it was when I was in the NFL or when I was at school or when I'm looking at rosters now, if you just look at how many guys, how many guys are playing top tier college football from the state of Georgia and from the state of Louisiana, it's ridiculous. Like per capita, there's probably more NFL players in those two states than anywhere else in the country. Now, there's great players in Texas. There's great players in Florida. There's great players in California. I get that. But that's, I mean, if you look at California, for example, I mean, there's like uh, millions upon millions upon millions of people. Like per capita, the talent is better in Georgia, Florida, and frankly, in a wild way, Alabama. And line of scrimmage is, is so not outrageously. Close. Yeah, important. line of yeah. scrimmage is not even close. No, my God. Like, he, like honestly, the best players I might have played with might have been from Mississippi. Like, right. Those guys were <laughs> insane. You know, like, I mean, you just look across that four state range and like some of the best players for whatever reason, like linemen growing trees in Louisiana and Monroe, Louisiana. Like you ask any college coach, it's like, hey, we got to get into Monroe. It's like we, we need a coach on our staff from Monroe that has ties to Monroe because that's a, the best per capita offensive and defensive lineman city in America. Um, so I, I think that Georgia had long. I don't want to say that they were complacent, um, but they needed a kick in the pants. And I love Mark Richt. I mean, I don't think there's a person that's ever covered the sport that has been around a more genuine human being than Mark Richt. But they needed that person to elevate the program. And they need that person with the vision and the, and, and the idea of where the sport is heading. And I think what's funny is that people were very frustrated with Kirby Smart at times in his tenure. Yep. Um, which I, I think is, is mind-blowing looking back on it. I mean, the guys won two straight national championships, but the SEC championship in 18, where they ran a fake punt with Justin Fields. The handling of Justin Fields versus Jake Fromm. The fact that Eason, Jacob Eason got banged up and then in comes Jake Fromm. And then next thing you know, they get hot and they they have a great defense and great one-two punch at running back with Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb. It was just strange um, how much heat he took at times because I know, and I'm sure you probably did too, like I knew he was going to be good at some point. It, it, it uh, Now, were they going to get to the point in which they won 29 in a row? I, I don't know if I could have envisioned that, but it was just only a matter of time. And he had to take his lumps as a young coach because everyone does. Um, it's just most people do it at places like Toledo uh, or, you know, um, I mean, you get a you get a dress rehearsal at a place where the mistakes aren't quite as magnified. His were on the national stage, but he's now really rounded into a guy that has great foresight with where the sport is heading. And he's also done a great job of, I think, getting the people as an alumnus of the university, getting people to invest in the program. Like in Tuscaloosa, if Nick Saban says he wants something, nobody says no. Like board of trustees, they are already breaking down walls before the board of trustees votes on it. Yeah, no doubt about it. Like, can it help us win? Yes. Perfect. We're doing it. Same now is being done at Georgia as it relates to their NIL. And I think it's their facilities and, and uh, I mean, the proof is in the pudding with what they've created. Yeah. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800 800- 327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. All right, so I want to wrap it up here with this. I mentioned you're going to call the Sugar Bowl. 
Texas, Washington. You're with McDonough, correct? You, you, you were Sean McDonough in this game? I am, yes. Okay, yep. so I cannot tell you. I, I freak out about Sean McDonough. Sean McDonough is the man. <laughs> I love Sean. Never, I've never introduced myself to him. I've never met him. But you got to understand, for a kid who grew up in the Deep South, and you, you grew up, like I was a really little kid when the Braves were making their run in the 90s. Right. And so right. Sean McDonough is working for CBS at the time, doing their national calls, doing a lot of the same stuff he is today. And, you know, Sid Bream wins the 1992 NLCS for Atlanta. And then for years, the famous radio call for Skip Carey is what echoes throughout the South. And it still does. And I love that. But Sean McDonough had the national play-by-play on CBS. And for my money, it is, it is the... It's not one of. It is the quintessential national broadcast call in the history of baseball. Now, I'm biased because it had to do with my team. So then you fast forward years later, and McDonough's still at the top of his game, and he's doing college football. He's doing a playoff game. You're there alongside him. So number one, I just want you to know how blessed you are. And number two, I want to know where where is your mind at in terms of preparation and also really early thoughts on this thing? Washington, Texas. I saw Washington in person twice this year. They uh, made me look foolish both times because I thought they were going to lose both Oregon games. And now, lo and behold, they're, they're sitting there, Pac-12 champ, undefeated, playing Texas. I think it's pretty funny because I think if we would have just taken your weekly picks, uh, your Ramen Noodle Express or whatever, Washington should be like 4-9. Washington like, I mean, would be in the Las Vegas Bowl. That's where they would be. <laughs> how many still times be did you them. pick against them? You I, must be the sole reason for their motivation at this point. Uh, Josh Josh Page is putting putting a big chip on the on the puppy's shoulder. Um, oh, look, I I think you hit on your on your Sunday show um, a few days ago or whatnot. You talked about the matchups and and the and how they match up. I, I think they match up really well. Uh, Washington does. Uh, you also, I thought, accurately referenced when Texas might have given up some yards uh, and how maybe some of their past defense numbers are a little inflated just because of the circumstances and the games in which they played. Big leads, turns into a throw-a-thon, their numbers aren't going to look as good. So I think all of that is very accurate. Um, I'm really interested in seeing what what I think is maybe the biggest misconception like everyone acknowledges at this point that Texas has dudes, right? Nobody's pushing back on that. Like Quinn Ewers, five star. Tavondre Sweat, Byron Murphy along the defensive line, unbelievable. Jalen Ford at linebacker, unbelievable. Jatavion Sanders at tight end, unbelievable. Xavier Worthy's been kicking butt and taking names for weeks and years. Uh, A.D. Mitchell's had big moments in national championship settings. Uh, Jordan Whittington's been like Mr. Consistent. They probably have a future first round pe- pick at left tackle and Kelvin Banks. Like everyone knows that Texas, because they've recruited and and places like y'all's like 247 sports, they acknowledge the quality on that roster. What I think is maybe the biggest misconception is how unbelievably talented Washington is. If you ask any NFL talent scout, They'll tell you, and you can talk to agents, you can talk to people that have surveyed them in practice and in person on game day, what have you. They have seven guys that are likely going to be drafted in the first or second round. Maybe more in the top 100 picks when you take into a guy like Yulo Fashio uh, at, at linebacker. Like That guy's got NFL future. Um, but then you look at the three receivers some of which have missed time this year, but all three receivers are going to play a long time on Sundays. Michael Penix, probably a first-round pick. If he's not a back end of the first-round pick, maybe it's higher. I don't know how he'll throw against other guys, but he's legit. The left tackle, first-round pick. The right tackle, probably a top-two-round pick. Uh, I mean, if you look at it, they have uh, Braylon Trice, their defensive end, probably a first-round pick. Like I've had a lot of people, Josh, and I don't know if you've had this, but there's like this perception... People have said, well, Washington's just like TCU. Yep. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. Like, yeah. Like, we might, you might want to keep that one in the drafts, my man. Like that one is very inaccurate. Just because they throw it all over the yard, just because they were purple, doesn't make them anything <laughs> like the TCU Horn Frogs. Okay. They are not at all similar as far as how they've been built. Like this is a legit veteran led roster that has difference makers. Latulia Sanoa 
is their defensive lineman. It's missed a couple games. Well, he wrecks havoc when he's in there, and he's been back for the last couple weeks at D-tackle. Like, when he's in the game, you cannot run it on him. I don't know why, but he is an immovable force. So they they have guys that are really, really talented. So while I understand the helmet game that is Alabama and Michigan, it's in the Rose Bowl. That game's going to do a ridiculous number and should. I called Bama Michigan in the Citrus Bowl in 2019. I think we had 14 million viewers. It was insane. Okay, insane. So like that's going to have a crazy audience. It's going to be compelling. It's going to be dramatic and I think it's going to be a grinded out type of game. Like I don't think both I don't think either offense is going to just turn that thing into a track meet. I think it's going to be a grinded out and I could see the final being somewhere along the lines of like 24-17 in that vicinity. It wouldn't shock me whatsoever. But in our game, I think it's going to be a track meet. Yep. I mean, I think both offenses are going to score. I think both quarterbacks are going to play well. It's in a dome. Weather will not be an issue like it has been multiple times for Washington this year. They're going to be healthy for the first time in a while. I mean, if you look at what Washington's had to endure from a injury standpoint, McMillan, their receiver's been out. Latulia Sanoa has been out. They've had three safeties out for a vast majority of the season, all of which more than likely will be back and will be available for the game. They've had multiple guys out of the lineup. They've been without their right guard for three or four games this year. Um, so I, I think that this will be good on good, man. I mean, this is, this is, I think, a really compelling matchup. And I'm, I'm thrilled and, and honored to have the opportunity to call it alongside Sean. Like, my career goal has been to call a playoff game and then hopefully someday have an ap- opportunity to call a national champion. Like, those are my those are my goals. And if I call one, I'm good. Like, we're, you know, like, we're right. fine. <laughs> but it's going to be really special to be there in a matchup that I think is really, really interesting. So um, I could see it going both ways. I think it's a coin toss game and uh, it should be a heck of a game to break down. The haters will say that you get no credit for talking Washington on the show because you had to bring someone else on to do it. So even though we just dedicated all this time to them, I just want you to know, I will get no shine for this whatsoever. Zero. Absolutely none. Comment section will be as toxic as it's always been. But I appreciate it. You can't worry about the haters because every single tweet that I see and I think Big Game Boomer has you as like number two. Appropriate that Brandon Walker is number one. I get that. Um, And I know you had a little uh, a little beef uh, with that on your show a few Mm. weeks ago. I'm sitting there at like number 99. Uh, the only person that I'm in front of is Big Game is Boomer big himself. Um, so I will look, the haters might be plentiful as far as Seattle, Washington is concerned, but the lovers are very much out there for Josh Pate and understandably so, as it should be. Yeah, I think, um, you know, if, if I rub the crystal ball, which we do here at 24 7, my crystal ball says Greg McElroy surges in the BGB top 100 this year. You're going to call a playoff game on New Year's Day. So who gets a bigger start to 2024 than that? That's got to be worth a whole lot, I would think. Maybe spring rankings come out. And all of a sudden, you're there in the 40s, and you're primed where you know, if I take care of business over the summer, don't get arrested, anything like that, I surge into fall. You could, you, could, you could make a meteoric rise. You could be the Washington of this upcoming season. You know, I, I think I'm okay with where I'm at. Um, <laughs> much like a lot of what Big Game Boomer does, right. I respect and appreciate the troll. Yeah. Uh, and I don't, I don't spend too much time worrying. And like Meemaw probably said at one point or another, uh, what other people think of you is none of your business. Um, so <laughs> mm. I don't know if Meemaw said that, but she should have. No, she That's did. what I would have to say about she that. She did, and Meemaw spoke it into existence, and here we are. Greg McElroy, always college football. If you want to check it out on YouTube, pretty much everywhere on ESPN. We appreciate your time, man. Enjoy it, brother. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. 
Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit GamblingHelplineMA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.